You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. My name is Melissa Peterson, and I'm sitting down with Beth Wilkins, a partner in our corporate practice group who is retiring this year after spending over four decades here at Harris Beach. Beth, what made you want to become an attorney, especially at a time when there were not as many women attending law school or entering the profession? It's odd because it was sheer luck. I really had no intention of ever becoming an attorney. And I got to the end of college and decided maybe if I went to law school, it might help me get some interesting job. I got to Cornell and within about three weeks, I realized I loved it. The whole way of thinking in the law really appealed to me. So at that point, I sort of did a 360 turn and decided that maybe practicing law would be something that I would really like to do. I was lucky enough to fall into it. I hadn't really thought about there not being that many women in the profession. I had just always been optimistic enough that I could make work whatever happened. So maybe a little foolishly, I I just forged ahead and did it and had a great law school experience at Cornell. One of my instructors there was a partner at Harris Beach who came down to teach a seminar once a week, Tom Hampson. And I had so much respect for him and really enjoyed him and his approach that ultimately that's what linked me to Harris Beach. So I started my career. I summer clerked in New York City and then started my career permanently up here in 1974. And it has been a terrific experience ever since. The firm has been wonderfully supportive and open. The most important thing to me was they let me make my own way, sort of define my career the way I wanted to define it. When I came out of law school, I was pretty sure that I did not want to do litigation. I have ultimate respect for litigators, but litigation is a very difficult process for both the clients and for me it would have been as a lawyer because ultimately, even if you succeed, you lose because it's expensive, it's time-consuming, it's emotionally draining, and it's people who essentially haven't been able to work things out. And you have a a defined set of facts to work with. And I much preferred the front end kind of work, which is really unlimited opportunities to be as creative as you can to make things happen in a positive way for your clients. And ultimately, as corporate lawyers, what we really try to do is work out beneficial arrangements for our clients that have to benefit both sides if they're really going to work. People tend to have better long-term relationships because there always is something you need to work out later. So having built relationships as you go is a really positive and helpful thing. What I call front-end work or corporate work is really planning, trying to avoid big problems, trying to keep your clients out of trouble, and really in the most fun way, trying to be a strategic part of your client's direction. So the specialties you chose like bankruptcy, securities, banking, and finance, have placed you within a male-dominated client base. How did you approach or maybe embrace that challenge? I actually found it to be an advantage. I came out of law school at a time when there weren't a large number of women attorneys. The result was 
oftentimes if I would go to a meeting or if I would be in an event, there would be a whole room full of guys, what I'd call it, the room full of gray suits. And then there would be me. Sometimes you had to hold your breath a little bit and get up your courage to just go in and do your thing. But out of that meeting or out of that event, people were going to remember one person because you stood out. So if you didn't do a good job, you were sunk forever. But if you were really well prepared and on top of things, people remembered you. And two years later, they might not remember the other 10 guys in the room, but they would remember you because you were different. And so to me, it was an advantage because it just gave me an opportunity sometimes to surprise people who didn't necessarily assume that I would do a great job and then realized, oh, wait a minute, Um, this person is competent. And so they remembered. Part of it is attitude. I think if you are confident in yourself and your abilities, and that means working hard and being prepared, trying to be the best that you can be. And if you're confident in that, clients, they buy us for our legal skills, they buy us for our expertise, but they can get that in a lot of different places. But what they really hire us for is trust. They really want us to be able to understand them, but to have their needs at heart. They really want someone who can help them sort through things in a way that's meaningful to them. Because for many clients, the law is kind of a mystery. It's overwhelming, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, It's often something that is asking them to do things that they don't want to do, whether it's a a regulation or whatever it might be. And even if we can help be an interpreter, not necessarily to justify why an unreasonable regulation is there, but to try to help our clients understand what might have caused it, what might have led to its passage, or what the whole context was. They may not like it, but they may be a little more accepting. And oftentimes, when as lawyers we lay out what the options are for clients, they they don't have a context to put it in. So we give them, well, you have these five choices. Well, they don't necessarily have all the background to be able to understand where will each of those choices lead them down the road. So part of our job is, again, is to try to interpret not just this is what the law says or this is what the cases are, but what does it mean for you and how's it going to play out for you over the long haul? And, And that's what I mean about building trust, that our clients need to trust us to help them sort through their problems in in an appropriate way. If you can talk through something with your clients, they often know where they're trying to get, but they don't know. They ask a question, but it's not the real question. And so if we talk, we can often sort through what it is. They may have asked a question thinking that that'll get them to what they're trying to accomplish, but it's it's not really the way to get there. And only if we talk can we figure out what's the way to get there. And the there. longer that we can work with our clients, the, the better attorneys we can be because we really start to understand the ins and outs of their businesses, um, what drive their decisions, even knowing 
their family relationships. We represent many privately held companies and having a sense uh, that someone trusts their child to take over the business or hopes that their child will take over the business in 30 years is very different than someone who we know loves their child dearly but wouldn't trust their business with them to save their soul. And that's not something that you just go in and ask somebody, well, do you trust your son? It's a sense that you get by working with somebody over a long term and, and you really learn what drives them and what's behind a lot of their decisions. What worries them? Why do they make a particular investment or don't want to make a particular investment? Even though it seems logical, maybe they're not making the investment because they're thinking that they're going to take the business in a different direction and sell it or whatever it might be. So we only learn that through talking. Given the importance of listening, building trust, and figuring out what might drive a client, Can you give an example of a time you've helped a client solve a problem or overcome a challenge? One example would be a client that we had who had essentially built up a a successful manufacturing business, had an outside fund investor that the time had come when we needed to buy out the fund, and started looking for ways to do that, and the client thought that the best way to do it would be to sell the business. As we went through the process of talking with potential buyers and really looked at how the business was positioned and what its opportunities were and what it really could do, we ended up reversing direction midstream and working out an arrangement where the client actually kept the business. We figured out a way to finance out the fund that needed to get out. We were able to do some good things for some key employees as part of that. And the result was that now, a number of years later, the business has probably doubled, tripled. It far exceeds the value that we would have sold it for. And it was really by trying to be flexible and at every stage looking at, was there a better alternative that would better suit our client? You were elected president of the Monroe County Bar Association at age 34, not only the first woman to hold the position, but also the youngest. What was it like to fill that role of leadership? Well, first I have to give a lot of credit to the Monroe County Bar because the leadership at that time was wonderfully open to the idea that the bar needed to spread its tent to a broader constituency. And there were more women coming up in the profession at that time. So I give them a lot of credit because it took some courage to make somebody president who was probably 25, 30 years younger than most of the people who who had served in that position. People were wonderfully supportive and it wasn't a problem. I had an opportunity to put a couple of women in as chairs of a couple of the key committees of the bar. We had the first woman chair of the courts committee, for example. But we also had a lot of wonderful men who I worked with really well. The year I was president was a year that we actually, as a Monroe County Bar, adopted our first anti-discrimination guidelines. And there was a lot of um, thought that it went into that because the bar had traditionally not taken positions on 
quote, social issues, had really more focused on things that were um, purely uh, evaluation of judges or things that related more specifically to the profession itself and building a consensus that these kinds of guidelines were really part of what we were all about and were intrinsic to what a bar should be. I'm, I'm very pleased that we were able to do that. And in conjunction with some other bars, later that same year, we also were able to get some similar work done at the New York State Bar Association through the House of Delegates. So it was a, it, that was a, something that I'm really glad sort of started that process. What advice do you typically share with attorneys who are just starting their careers? In many ways, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been in a large firm. I've been in a firm that was very supportive. I've had wonderful client relationships. And that's not always true for all women in the profession. So I'm very aware that there is still discrimination in some areas, um, sometimes overt, most, mostly covert. What I really hope we can do is continue to show that women are just as good or better so that we aren't hiring someone because they're a woman, we're hiring someone because they're really good. And to me, that's the real benchmark. And we have a lot of women who are really good. We just need to keep working at that. It's interesting because we come out of law school and we know nothing practical. We might be able to make a theoretical argument in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. That's about it. But, you know, drafting a contract, doing a trial, closing a deal, those are all skills that the law schools have been very slow negotiating, uh, very slow to teach. So unlike the medical profession, we do our theoretical part of law school like the doctors do med school. Then they go through an internship and a residency. We throw people out into the deep end to learn on the job. So when you come out of law school, you're really very green. So it's easy to misinterpret how people react to you as a sexist thing when sometimes it's just a pure experience thing. Again, that doesn't mean that there isn't discrimination that goes on. There is. But what I try to encourage younger women attorneys to try to put things in context and not overread things into situations. Understand if somebody is truly dumping on you, but also understand that it may just be a matter of age and experience. And there's nothing like um, having five or 10 years of practice or 30 or 40 under your belt just because you're um, more confident with how things work. And it's just because you know more, you're better able to engender trust because you can add more value for your client. Beth, you have served on the boards and as counsel to many businesses and community organizations, such as the YMCA, WXXI, and Rochester General Hospital System. Why is this involvement important to you? To me, there are two things that probably impact a community more than anything else in their health and education. They impact everybody. So all of my work over the years with the health systems and the health community was really aimed toward trying to help assure that we had a high quality, vibrant 
health system that worked for our community. And organizations like WXXI or the Rochester Museum and Science Center are all about education. And so I was glad to spend some time working with them because, again, it was a way of trying to encourage things that I think are critical to the long-term health of Rochester. Thank you for sitting down with me today. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach Podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.